0: the subject that we were discussing because I didn't get that far into the story. Uh, There's an awful lot of material, but as you may recall, we discussed uh, or got into the story of the eras of the church and how we may have mislabeled ourselves uh, through the years as to what we really are and were and perhaps shall be, Uh, and we first of all explored irara to see that the Millerite movement, uh, which was back in the mid 1850s uh, became a church and a woman separated herself off before the seventh day church of God, church of God's seventh day they call themselves, really got formed and led. A following back into Protestantism, with the exception of mainly the Sabbath, and she also had a lot of false prophecies that were unscriptural, that came from an ungodly source, much like Joseph Smith with the Mormons. I think uh, the demon Moroni is the one who gave him his insights, and Ellen G. White also had an ungodly source for her dreams, because they simply did not fit the Bible. Uh, So, enough said on that. We have not seen the last of the Jezebel of Thyatira. Uh, That has occurred, I think you can go all the way back to Moses, really, where Miriam and Aaron uh, decided that Moses should not be what Moses was, where God had placed him. And uh, although the Jezebel of Elijah's day had not yet appeared... Uh, There was a woman who was seeking essentially to destroy Moses and his reputation and his job that God had given him. And then you have the one in Elijah's time who taught against the truth of God and the true God and false doctrine and then threatened to kill Elijah physically. And of course the prophecy came that the dogs would eat and lick her blood in the street which physically happened with that particular Jezebel. But God brings her forward into the book of Revelation, Uh, and I think Ellen G. White is the only one we can look at in the history of the church in this modern time, who led people astray, did not have the true doctrine of God, and uh, her people, 18 million Seventh-day Adventists, it says, will go into the great tribulation unless they repent, which they do not appear to be making any effort to do. It does say of those people that they didn't all go that direction, and we discussed Gilbert Cranmer, who began uh, what turned out to be the Church of God's seventh day in Michigan in 1858. And that is the others, I think, that... Uh, John is describing here. He says, But to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, not the ones that followed Ellen G., but the rest, and have not this doctrine or her doctrines, and which have not known the depths of Satan. Now understand that Ellen G. White had the Sabbath, which is a sign between God and his people, and yet that's basically the only thing of God that she clung to. So it was a very weak sign indeed, and the Seventh-day Adventists of today, uh, in my estimation at least, worship the Sabbath more than they keep it. They do a lot of things that I would not consider proper for the Sabbath. So uh, it appears they will go into great tribulation, and the great tribulation is just around the corner. But the others have not known the depths of Satan. Well, what are the depths of Satan? False doctrine of the Protestants and of other false religions. But in our day and age and in this country, it's been primarily uh, Catholicism and Protestantism who have known the depths of Satan's doctrine, such as the Trinity, uh, and on and on you go. Pagan holidays instead of God's holy days, and we could name a whole bunch of them uh, that are... Satanic and ungodly and sim- simply do not come from the Bible. So instead of going into all of that, I just wanted to review a little bit <clears throat> because there may be some in Thyatira who come through as part of a faithful remnant of God's people because they still do exist. So let's not throw that possibility out. It does say that there are some who did not accept Ellen G and her doctrine and have not known the depths of Satan. So the Church of God's Seventh Day is far smaller than Ellen G's work, which was 18 million, and they, they number the seventh Church of God's Seventh day about two hundred thousand today. They have not had a great falling away either. They have grown over the years from a very, very small group when they were Uh, formally founded in 1858, to 200,000 strong today. Now, when Herbert Armstrong first came in touch with them in Oregon, they were very, very small. Uh, Congregations weren't big, and they were scattered. Now, they are many times larger and have, they say, 215 congregations, which you can walk into and attend today. So... (coughs) Seventh-day Adventist, Church of God's seventh day, seem to fit the scriptures here very, very well, and appear to be Thyatira. And that makes what comes from them, or succeeded them, Sardis. And Herbert Armstrong got involved with the Sardis era back as early as 1928, and even gave sermons and uh, wrote articles in their church at that time, though he says he was never a formal part of the Stansbury, Missouri headquarters of that church, but was involved uh, officially, at least, with the Oregon Conference, which was a split-off in a sense, so they worked loosely together. You can read about that in the autobiography, so I'm not going to go into it in detail. I think it also is recorded somewhat in Mystery of the Ages. But let's, again, address Sardis a little bit here, because this is perhaps a big pill for us to swallow, uh, although when I first started reading this paper that I got about it, it just, it just leaped off the page that this fits. Uh, there's been an awful lot written about Philadelphia, and we for, cent- for centuries, for decades, thought we were Philadelphia, and there are a lot of people who think they are Philadelphia today who are not, and we shall see that. But he does say to Sardis here in chapter 3 of Revelation, he says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you live and are dead. And we discussed that a bit last week, that they had a reputation, a name, of living and growing and uh, increasing and so on. And yet God said, at core, they would die. Have a name you're living, but you're dying. and then became dead. In 2009, the, the name, in 2009, the name even disappeared and became an evangelical thing. So the, the name itself is even gone. Now here's a comment, I'll make a couple of comments from Zeke in his paper, and I remember Herbert Armstrong saying things to this effect. Uh, actually many times. Here, uh, Zeke says, We know that H.W.A. always told us that most of us just don't get it. Any of you ever remember hearing him say that? You're just not getting it, brethren. There were these two trees! (laughs) You know, on and on. Uh, But we didn't get it. And he says here that He even once said that he thought that 90% of us was spiritually dead. I don't remember hearing that particular statement, but Zeke quotes it as one that Mr. Armstrong at least once said. He says, I think 90% of you are Laodicean. I've heard him say that. I've heard him say many times, you're not getting it, you don't understand. And then... I don't know where this can be, uh, 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 I'm getting old, I can't think of words, where this can be uh, substantiated. Well, that's the first word that came, uh, that he had said that, but here it is, and it's an interesting quote. He said, "...90% of us were spiritually dead, and as of the year '09, Tkach Jr. killed the Worldwide Church of God." when they changed the name to Grace Communion International. And he makes this comment, How ironic that we can still attend the Church of God Seventh-day Church, but cannot attend a Worldwide Church of God congregation. There simply isn't one. That church is dead, but it had a name for being alive. There's no church, other church, in our line of history that this prophecy applies to as it does here. And people have even used the name since then for their own organization. We are the living church, when really they're a remnant of a dead church. I think we'll see that. Uh, he also brings up Second Thessalonians 2, so I want to run back there and look at this as well. This is a very interesting statement that Paul makes, and Paul still at this time... Uh, thought that the end of the age was still coming during his lifetime, obviously. He had been instructed not only by the book of Daniel, but he had been instructed by Christ himself for three and a half years in the desert. So he knew what was coming. Second Thessalonians 2, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Emmanuel, and by our gathering together to him, he is going to come, and he is going to gather. That you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter that allegedly came from us, as at the day of Christ is at hand. He says, be very, very careful about people coming and bringing you false doctrine, false hope, false uh, teaching. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, that is the return of Christ, shall not come except there come a great falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now here he's quoting Daniel, where the son of perdition, the final uh, one, will set up in the temple of God, which is yet to be built. And he is a man of perdition who will go into the lake of fire, as Revelation tells us. But he is not the only son of perdition. I remember telling Herbert Armstrong in 1981 in a meeting we were in that this man of sin is in the church of God, the temple of God. I did not yet know then what I know about the prophecies today. But I did know enough to say that there was a problem within the church at that point and Joseph Koch was sitting right there beside Herbert Armstrong and Mr. Armstrong said I think that might be Stan Rader. Turns out it was Joseph Koch. Now Stan Rader was in one sense one of those because he stood in the church of God and tried to take over and was behind the uh, incursion of the church, state of California into the church. And I might also add there was another Jezebel present on the scene at that time. We got one in Moses day, we got one in Elijah's day. Now we got one in Worldwide Church of God. because Stan Raider uh, put Ramona in the position, She was his employee. She was under his influence. Put him in the position to be around Mr. Armstrong, and the marriage came as a result of a match made by Stan Rader. And she tried to lead Herbert Armstrong aside, tried to destroy him along with Stan and Joe. So there's another woman who was against God, and was, in that sense, a type of Jezebel. I think the end-time Elijah being completely tied to Second Kings will also encounter another end-time Jezebel because the story of Second Kings fits very, very closely with end-time prophecy, and uh, we'll get into that more later, but uh, not today. So a falling away would come, and that this person would sit in the kingdom of God and exalt himself above all, as the Tkachas did. But it is interesting, and the point that Zeke was making, and that I want to make here, is there is nothing in the dissertation given to Philadelphia that there is any falling away from Philadelphia. You notice that it doesn't say anything about a remnant of Philadelphia anywhere. It's not in there. No falling away, no remnant, no faithful remnant of Philadelphia. Where is it? We'll read it in a minute, and in there. But there is one of a falling away and a remnant of Sardis. He says you're dead. Verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, whatever is left, strengthen it. That are ready to die. So he says it's dead, and then he says there is something which remains that is ready to die. Now, if you have a falling away, what does that mean? A great falling away from the truth and from the spirit and a closeness with God, a spiritual relationship with God destroyed, kills you spiritually. When people fell away from the truth they knew at Worldwide Church of God, they began to die. And over time, they became, many of them, spiritually dead. However, not all die. (coughs) And he's going to make that clear. You have a few names left in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So out of a church that died, (coughs) that had a great falling away or spiritual death, there are some which remain. And that which we had has to be strengthened, lest it die as well. Now, history explains this. (coughs) I don't think it could really have been understood 30 years ago. It can now, as we look back and see what happened to Worldwide, that there was a great falling away, that the name of the church and the church itself died, but there are some who are still clinging to the truth that they learned there. And it needs to be strengthened. So this fits Worldwide Church of God perfectly. He says, Remember therefore how you have received and heard. What did we receive and hear? We heard more truth there than has ever been taught in the seventh, uh, the Church of God's seventh day. Herbert Armstrong did restore a certain amount, uh, quite a bit in fact, although he did not restore everything and he was not the Elijah to come. He was a mild type of Elijah because he did do some restoration. He was also a mild type of Zerubbabel who will be over the latter temple <clears throat> because he led an in, a resurrection of the church at the end time, what I call today the Former temple in the end time. But he is not the last Zerubbabel because it's very clear in Scripture, and we'll get to that ultimately, that show that Zerubbabel and Joshua, the two witnesses, are also Moses and Elijah of the end time, and they exist and preach until the end, until three and a half days before the resurrection. So Herbert Armstrong was not the last Elijah. I won't say he was not a partial fulfillment of it, as John the Baptist was, but not the final one. So that is yet to come. <coughs> there are still some who claim that Herbert Armstrong had to be the Elijah. And yet, if he preached the gospel around the world and the end would come, why hasn't it come? No, he didn't do that job. He did a great calling. And I'm not here trying, brethren, to minimize Herbert Armstrong. I think he did a mighty work for God. I think even Sardis, when it was still alive, was doing a mighty work. And it appeared to be living and was. But then it began to die. And as it died, people fell away, and the ministry fell away, false apostles, and it died. Now there is a remnant of Sardis still out there. Now he that overcomes, verse five, the same shall be clothed in white, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now let's briefly address Philadelphia because there's some things in here that we applied to what we thought was Philadelphia that don't fit it to the angel of the church in Philadelphia right these things says he that is holy he that is true he that has the key of David there is someone as the head of a uh, remnant of Sardis today who claim they have the key of David that is not what this says is it what does it say He that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, that's Christ. That's not a preacher, that's Christ. He that opens and no man shuts. See, the key, Christ holds. He can open a door, he can shut a door. So it's not a man, it's not a preacher here, this is still speaking of Christ. He's the one that opens and shuts. (coughs) And shuts and no man opens. Now, Herbert Armstrong often said that Philadelphia, speaking of himself and his work, that God had opened a door and nobody could shut it. I heard him say that (laughs) a hundred times at once, and maybe more than that. It's in print, it's all over the place. I ask you a question. Did whatever door Worldwide Church of God have Get closed Yes Did it stay open until the end Did it stay open until Christ returned Is it still preaching the gospel Around the world as a witness No I'm not saying he didn't have a door I'm saying it didn't stay open It shut Who shut it Well, the man died for one thing, and that gave it a push, but the Takachas are the ones that really shut the door. They stopped it. They killed it. It died. Door slammed. End of story. That story, except the remnant that remain that needs to be strengthened. He says of Philadelphia, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. And yet men did shut it. Philadelphia is speaking of a work that cannot be stopped. No man can shut it. And believe me, the whole world is going to try. Because there is a work that will come, that will appear, that is going to preach the gospel around the world as a witness, and then the end will come. Now, he does say both here. He says he can open and no man can shut it, but he can shut it and no man can open it. It's going to be opened until the last three and a half days before the resurrection, and then Christ is going to shut it. And they will kill the witnesses. And it'll stay shut for three and a half days. Nothing more will be accomplished. And then Christ will return. And he's not only going to open the door, he's going to open the graves. (laughs) So uh, that is a work that cannot be stopped. And if anyone try to harm them or hurt them or stop them, fire will come from their mouths and devour them. They can keep it from raining anywhere on earth for three and a half years if they choose. They can do all kinds of plagues. Nothing can stop them. Satan and the New World Order will do their best. Worldwide got shut down pretty easy, didn't it? Wasn't too hard. Great falling away, and then slammed the door, and it was shut. And all those who are trying to do what Worldwide was trying to do are essentially failing. They're trying to generate another calling. They're trying to preach it around the world. Their booklets, their magazines... Their broadcasts are having almost no effect. And they're so pablum that they are no witness against the world. They one of them all they do about, about all they do is talk about Herbert Armstrong. It's the religion of Herbert Armstrong. That's all you see on the screen is Herbert Armstrong. So that doesn't work. <clears throat> and they those which claim they're living are not producing. Much of a lively work. They still exist with their remnant of Sardis. But they're not accomplishing Matthew 24 14 in any way, shape, or fashion. But this one, it says, is going to have a door open, and it has a little strength. Not very big, not very strong, just little. And have kept my word, so they'll cling to the words of God. And I will tell you that they will also restore a lot that Herbert Armstrong never got around to restoring or even understood, and have not denied my name, they will also not deny God's name. There is a name that Matthew and Isaiah tell us that we are to use in the end time, Emmanuel, and I don't know of anyone anywhere other than us that uses it. It might get used once in a while in passing here and there. But that's the name of God with us. And these people, whoever they are, will not deny that name. Now, I'm not telling you we or the Philadelphia Church of God. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that. We'll get to the Philadelphia Church of God in great depth and detail later. there's been much said, much written about it, and nearly everybody in the church has thought they were it. I don't think I'm it. Okay? We'll get to this later on. Verse 9, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Now, who would this be referring to? We know that... There are many in the physical Jewish community who are Edomites, not true Jews by blood, but through Esau. So that is in a larger sense in the world itself and the tribes of Israel and Esau, uh, which has an application here in the end because some of those people are part of the new world order that is taking over and they will destroy physical Jacob as the book of Obadiah clearly shows and laugh at her calamity when it occurs. We have many of those (coughs) in our government in Washington. We have many in the banking community. Uh, We have many of them scattered through Europe and they are in the process of destroying Jacob today and they will accomplish it very shortly. So there is that larger physical application, but there are also those in the church of God who consider themselves spiritual Jews, but who are not. The duality of the prophecies goes completely throughout the Bible. There is always a church story and a story of the world. Now let me show you that this can apply uh, back when he speaks to Smyrna verse 9 of chapter 2. Speaking of Smyrna, he says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich, spiritually speaking, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So here, associated with Smyrna, is a group of people who think that they or spiritual Jews, and maybe the people in Smyrna who are true Jews thought so as well. But God says they aren't. So they're pretending to be Christian, and yet they're really not. They may have doctrines according to, <coughs> not according to Scripture, and they may also have conduct not according to Scripture, as the Pharisees did. So there are some there were there, and I believe are there today, uh, because Pergamus will appear again, as will all the seven churches. Now I do believe there was a nose-to-tail application through from Christ in the Ephesian era at the beginning with the apostles. Uh, it says there in the, in the beginning of chapter two that uh, let me go back there, Ephesus. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil and have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Uh, That occurred in the days of the original apostles. Simon Magus immediately comes to mind who wanted to be an apostle and tried to buy his way into the ministry and Peter told him to go to hell with his money. Uh, Apparently, from the best history we can determine, He is a man who began the Catholic Church and became the first pater or Peter or father of Catholicism. So they did see an evil man there. Uh, There probably will be an end-time application of this as well from some people who claim that they are Ephesus. uh, And they start looking for evil among people who consider themselves apostles. Thankfully, I don't know too many who complain who claim today that they are apostles, but whatever. Anyway, uh, we'll see a little later on that not only were they nose to tail from the apostles' day on, and I think we picked the story up with uh, Thyatira. Now, what came before that with Smyrna and Pergamos is very sketchy. Uh, But Thyatira, Sardis... Philadelphia will become apparent, and Laodicea, I think, is very apparent. So they all existed through history, and we have lived through and seen Thyatira, Sardis. We will see Philadelphia, and we are seeing Laodicea, one right after the other. That may sound strange to you, but uh, I think I can prove it quite conclusively. Anyway, he says that there are some there who say they are true believers, but are not, and ultimately they will come and worship at the feet of Philadelphia. Philadelphia uh, will be, for the most part, a part of the first resurrection. And we will see that in Scripture. That's why God says not much bad about them. And yet you can say an awful lot bad about Worldwide Church of God, can't you? Hasn't the history proven that they died and did not hold fast and got scattered, uh, death, falling away? That's a scattering. And then it is put in a different way when you get to Laodicea, and God uses the analogy of spewed. So whether blown to bits and died or spewed, it's the same result. (laughs) Little pieces here and there, uh, waiting to die and hoping not to die. Pretty much the story. And there will be some who will try to cling on and join themselves with, as Daniel points out, who are not true believers. Maybe we'll get to that scripture later on. Who say they're Jews, I'm a member, I'm a member, I want to join up with you. But it won't happen, because they are not true. We'll see that in Daniel and other places as we go along because I'm not anywhere near done with this subject. All right, verse 10, Philadelphia says, Because you have kept the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of temptation or tribulation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So that's speaking of not the Middle Ages. It's speaking of the end time destruction of the earth and those who are members on this earth of the church. But he says he will keep them from tribulation. Now he says of Smyrna, they will go into tribulation in verse 10 of chapter 2. It says of Thyatira, those followers of G will go into the tribulation unless they repent. And it shows that Sardis dies, has a falling away, and some remnants remain of Sardis. And if we look at the church today, we see remnants large and small all over the world. And it says that they also are Laodiceans, and will go into the tribulation, which we'll read in a few moments. So all these other groups that we're talking about, unless there is repentance, will go into tribulation, but Philadelphia won't. Now let's look, let's continue here. Behold, I come quickly, verse 10, hold that fast which you have, that no man take your crown. So, upon Philadelphia, he says, hang on, because I come quickly. Won't be long. And the last temple, the last iteration of the church of God, will still be there until the time Christ returns. Him that overcomes, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he'll he'll go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is the heavenly Jerusalem coming down in chapter 19 of Revelation, uh, which comes down out of heaven from my God and will write upon him my new name. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now let's get to Laodicea. (coughs) I'm going to basically skip Philadelphia. I wanted to point out some of the things that we used to apply to ourselves thinking we were Philadelphia that were not so that they fit Sardis, like the door that shut, like the falling away that occurred and only pieces remained. And also that Philadelphia has an open door that no man can shut. And the Philadelphia church, when it appears, will have that door that cannot be shut. They won't be large. They'll be small. Worldwide was large. Was it? Fairly large. Thyatira may have 200,000 that are essentially faithful. Worldwide had roughly 150,000. But Philadelphia is a remnant. No, they are not a remnant of Sardis in that sense. Uh, They are the remnant church that will appear. But they will not be large. A remnant is about 10%. And we've and seen many scriptures to show that. <clears throat> so they come out of somewhere else and form. And what about Laodicea? These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginner of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I would you were cold or hot. So then, because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Now, we saw in Worldwide Church of God, a church that was more zealous in the earlier years when it was growing and living. And then it began to have ministers fall away, people fall away. Uh, and that increased to a deluge toward the end when it finally died. But we had a lot of people then who were going through the motions, thought they had it made, weren't praying, weren't studying, weren't turning to God with all their heart. We were drifting along. We weren't really on fire. And God didn't like that. So He spewed what remained out. A lot of it died, went with the Tkachas, and the rest got either blown apart as it died or spewed out. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now that is the saying of nearly all those who came out of Worldwide Church of God when it died. Many of them make great Stories of Herbert Armstrong restoring the 18 things that needed restored. And that's all that needed restored because he was Elijah. So everything had been restored at that point. Wrong. I've seen a lot of things change since then that fit the Bible better than what we followed back then. Other people have learned, just like Zeke Ward here learned some things that Herbert Armstrong did not restore. So, he didn't restore everything. But they think so. And organization after organization out there says, we have the truth. We've restored the church of God, one of them says. And all they've done is requote Herbert Armstrong and rewrite it and say essentially the same things with no real new understanding. One preaches Herbert Armstrong and him... Alive, more or less, because they're still hanging on to his coattails and call themselves Philadelphia. And on and on it goes of people who think they are living and have everything they need. We're alive, but are not. Doesn't mean they don't remain, but they're ready to die. Sorry. And they don't think they need new truth? How much new truth have any of these organizations come up with? The so-called united ones, for instance. Now, I'm not saying we're any different. At the moment, we're not too united. At the moment, we're, you would say, falling apart. That's okay. I'll show you some prophecies that show that this very thing would happen. Okay? I'll show you some. Not today, but I will. But what have I always said? We are recovering, or hopefully recovering, Laodiceans. Now I have to add to that, barely alive, and needing to strengthen those things which we had, lest we die. Barely alive, and we thought we were okay. Did you? I did years ago, brethren. I thought we had everything we needed. I thought the church had restored the doctrines, and everything was good. I thought all I had to do was be there and go to Sabbath and try to keep my nose clean and go to the feast, and I'd get my ticket to Petra, which wasn't the place of refuge at all. That has been restored since. Never was in the Bible. Petra was in Protestant thinking to some degree, but not in the Bible. Can't find it there. So everybody pretty well thought they were rich and increased with goods and had all the understanding they needed. I had to raise my hand. Then I started beginning to wake up a little bit because God nudged me. And know not that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now if you're in that condition, wretched is... Pretty bad. People are about to die, you would call wretches. Let's say they were starving in a prison camp somewhere. You'd refer to them as a wretch. Miserable. Trial, trouble, tribulation, uncertainty, confusion. Poor. Now we're talking spiritually here, and it will come to physically as well. And blind. Blind. Can't see spiritually and naked. Now, if you found yourself physically with all those things, you would be near death, wouldn't you? You're wretched, didn't have anything to eat, you're under very, very poor physical conditions, you're mentally miserable and wretched and upset, didn't have anything to eat, poor couldn't see where you were going, and were naked, no clothes. What if winter were coming? You're as good as dead. So he's saying that that which came from Sardis and got scattered and spewed is almost dead spiritually. Same thing. Now what does he say to them? I counsel to you... To buy of me gold tried in the fire. The fire is the great tribulation. And Laodiceans are going into the great tribulation. I was headed for the great tribulation. I hope I'm a brand plucked out of the fire. I hope we all are. Because that's where we were headed. With our spiritual almost death... And our Laodicean, we think we're okay attitude. I was there. I think you were there. And nearly everything that came out of Worldwide is there. By gold tried in the fire. Sterling spiritual character depicted by gold in a furnace that purifies. Gold and silver are purified with heat. And white raiment, that you may be clothed. So we have to put on the garments of righteousness. Mentioned several places in the Bible. Because as Laodiceans and dying Sardis, we were not righteous. Sorry. That the shame of your nakedness do not appear. If you're spiritually naked, that will appear unless you put on some righteousness. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So, essentially, that which came out of Worldwide is blind and naked and cannot see. They don't know their condition. They don't know who they are. As I said last time I spoke, Herbert Armstrong not only did not understand his commission, he did not even understand who he was, which era he was. That's okay. God used him to do a work, to make a calling, and then there was a falling away, it, he died and it died. But out of that came a remnant, out of that came a spewing, that is Laodicea, that are told to repent. And I think that's where we all find ourselves. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So he says, he loves us. He cares about us. So he wants us to rebuke, be be rebuked, be chastened. He chastens every son whom he loves. And we've been going through some chastening ever since Worldwide died, have we not? And still will until we repent and turn to God with our whole heart, and then we'll find him, he says in the book of Jeremiah. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. So this is right at the end. The the door is there. I'm knocking, he says. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, and he with me. So God says even though we find ourselves in the shape we're in, it can change. He knocks, we open, we let him in, he will let us in. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. Now let's pick up a few things from what uh, Zeke said here. I went over the naked and blind thing. Uh, Let's see what else here that I have not maybe covered. He quotes Isaiah 4.1, uh, where it says that seven women will take hold of one man. And he applies it here to, he says that there are seven major groups today, and that they're all clinging to one man, referring to Herbert W. Armstrong. And that is essentially the truth. And I think that that may be, in one sense, a mild application of Isaiah 4. But it is not the overall and biggest application by any means. If we are clinging today to Herbert W. Armstrong, we are clinging to a dead man. We are clinging to a dead church that no longer exists. He does not exist. His church, his work does not exist. It was there for a purpose, and it fulfilled a purpose, and I believe Herbert Armstrong will be in the kingdom of God. So I'm not putting the man down in what I'm saying here. Please understand that. But he had a work to do, and he finished it, and he died. And if that is where you stop, you'll find yourself as a sin, wretched and naked and blind and poor and all those things and about to miss out on the kingdom of God and going into the tribulation, and you'd better find Christ and repent. Now, Isaiah 4, one, maybe I'll turn back there quickly. I've got another scripture I want to get to today to, to help prove the premise that I've been presenting to you. But Isaiah 4, let's see the context of this. Here he's talking about the daughters of Zion in chapter 3 and how they or going about as a fallen woman really looked like a hooker and a streetwalker spiritually speaking that pretty well what it says in Revelation 3 about Laodicea and in verse 25 it says your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in the war and her gates shall lament and mourn and she being desolate shall sit upon the ground so whether you're talking about a wretched Christian or a fallen woman sitting on the ground uh, or Uh, A dead church with a falling away. It's all essentially the same thing. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. Now, so far, that could be some seven churches, women, clinging to Herbert Armstrong. We'll still keep your name We'll feed ourselves, we'll take care of ourselves, but let us have your name. Well, it's a name that's dead. What good's it going to do them? Now let's go on and see what this might really be talking about. In that day shall the branch of the eternal be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of the church of spiritual Israel. So, he's talking about a time where seven women will take hold of one man, and there will be blessing. Now, is there great blessing from clinging to the name of Herbert Armstrong today, which seven women are trying to do? I think there's going to come a time where they turn loose of Herbert Armstrong and look for another name to cling to, where blessing will be. Verse 3, It shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion... And he that remains in Jerusalem, Zion and Jerusalem are the church, Hebrew twelve twenty-two through 23, remember. Those who remain. Didn't he say about Sardis that some would remain? Those who are left shall be called holy. Now right now, they're called wretched and blind and naked and poor. But they'll be called holy if they repent as he tells the Laodiceans to do. Even every one that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Won't be too many left alive. Left among the living. End of the falling away and death of Sardis. When the Eternal shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, and the Eternal will create upon every dwelling place of dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night, for upon all the glory shall be a defense. And there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and for a covert from storm and from rain. Do you read that about Sardis? Do you read that about Laodicea? No. The seven churches which will remain, and there will be elements of each here at the end, will all turn to one man Zerubbabel, the leader of the two witnesses. They will take his name, say, We'll take care of ourselves, just let us be part of what's going on. Isaiah 41 says that in this time, Isaiah 40 begins the voice of the crying in the wilderness, the end-time work. And in chapter 41, he says, I will plant seven trees in the wilderness. So seven churches will be planted in the wilderness. Those seven will take hold on one man. Now it says in Zechariah 2, in the context of the end-time church and remnant, and it's talking about the two witnesses in that remnant, That he says, I will be a wall of fire around you. So that tells you, in so many words, what Isaiah 4 is talking about. That it is in the time of the two witnesses in the remnant church that God will do these things. So, some elements of all the churches, all the attitudes, will take hold of the leadership that God puts in the church. And there you get a small glimpse into the Philadelphia Church of God that will have a door open before it and the two witnesses which cannot be shut. And there's a thousand more that fit that. Here he says, Zeke, we have misplaced ourselves in Bible prophecy and now this puzzle comes together and makes the picture so plain and clear. Then he says... Somewhere out here, there is a small church of God that is keeping His commandments and trying to preach the gospel to the world and feed the flock. Even with the scope of work that was accomplished by the Worldwide Church of God, they did not have the open door that the church has today. I think he's a bit premature on that, because I don't think we've seen it yet really appear. But it isn't far away. Uh, It will begin to appear just before the financial collapse and military takeover of this nation. And that is becoming imminent. So we don't have far to go. And then he shows that you can preach the gospel today over the internet because everybody on the world basically has a telephone. I mean, you go to Ghana, you go to Kenya, you go to some of those African countries where they carry their water and have very, very little to eat, and nearly everyone you see has a phone plugged into their ear. It is a worldwide phenomenon. So the capacity to reach the world is here in a way that it was not in the days of Herbert Armstrong. But he says uh, Do you know where the teaching of the Philadelphian remnant first started? It wasn't Herbert Armstrong. He goes on to explain that it was Jerry Fleury who left in 1989 and called himself the Philadelphia remnant. I don't believe that to be the truth. I mean, yeah, he did say that. But Zeke then says, I do not believe there is a Philadelphian remnant right now. And I will wholeheartedly agree with him. He says, as this study proves, we're right now in the Philadelphia era. I think it's, again, a little premature because the two witnesses have not showed up and neither has the remnant been gathered. But he's on the right track. Put it that way. As this, uh, he says, the true Philadelphia remnant will be the two witnesses in the Great Tribulation. And that is at least a part of it. There's some work that has to be done ahead of that, as we've seen, but that is true. He then says we need to find this Philadelphia church as soon as possible. The Great Tribulation is just ahead of us and will come on us like a bird in a snare. We need to decide if we want truth or consequences. I pray it will be truth. Well, he has an awful lot of insight here, but I do have a little time, and I want to take us back to Ezekiel 17 and uh, make a little more of this, because this is a very important chapter. It says of itself at the beginning that it is both a parable and a riddle. Now, I used to read this uh, back in the time when I was beginning to learn some of the things that we have learned today, and wonder, this is hard to understand. Uh, It's it's both a riddle and a parable. Riddles are hard to get, and people trick each other with riddles to try to find the right answer. A parable is hard to understand, because Christ said He spoke in parables that they could be taken and snared and deceived and not understand. So when it's both a riddle and a parable, it's something very difficult to get. And I read it many times, and what in the world is this talking about? Nebuchadnezzar and past history, and what does it have to do with end-time prophecy? One day I prayed very diligently about it, specifically this chapter, and said, Father, I'm missing something here. Please show me what this is talking about. Shortly thereafter, it just came out, boom. So simple, so clear. Remember, Ezekiel is a prophecy about the end times. It even concludes with the final temple at its end. So, everything that Ezekiel says has its major and final application now. Now, it may have had some lesser applications and fulfillments earlier, as virtually all poly- prophecy does, but the final is at the end. And I've gone through this with you before, but let's let's kind of skip through it because there's something at the end of this chapter that ties in very, very well with what I've been presenting about worldwide being Sardis and what will follow. Verse uh, 3, Thus says the eternal God, a great eagle with great wings. An eagle is a leader uh, with wide wings. In other words, it has a big spread long-winged, full of feathers, a lot of people there, which had different colors. So it is worldwide with different races of men. And he came to Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. Herbert Armstrong used to brag about the cedars of Lebanon on the campus in Pasadena. So it was, it took hold of the high branch of the cedar. It had a lot of truth. It had a lot of understanding. It had a lot of the Spirit of God. And Herbert Armstrong did, I believe. So he started out that way. He reached for the highest, okay? That was his goal and his purpose. Did he not always want quality and the highest he could possibly obtain? Of whatever it might be. He he had his heart and mind set on quality, both physically and spiritually. So, he cropped off the top of his young twigs and carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchants. So he began in Portland with a small thing that was attached to the Oregon Conference of Church of God's Seventh Day. Broke off from that, began anew, and he realized that from where he was in Oregon, he could not really do a worldwide work. He needed broadcast studios and some of the things that a bigger city would offer, so he decided to go to the city of the angels, Uh, fallen angels basically, but the angels of God were there also with him when he was there, a land of traffic, one of our biggest ports, one of our biggest cities, a hubbub, uh, uh, most of the entertainment in the world comes from the Los Angeles area, on and on it goes, so it's a land of traffic. And it is a city of merchants, a great trading city. He took also of the seed of the land, people around America, primarily and first, and planted it in a fruitful field. So it was given good doctrine, good opportunity to grow. He placed it by great waters. Well, there's the good doctrine right there. Water is the word of God. So, good doctrine and set it as a willow tree. So he put it by good doctrine, a willow tree is down near the water, and a willow tree grows because of much water, much good teaching. And worldwide did thrive for a long, long time as a willow with good water. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature. So instead of becoming a great tree as Herbert Armstrong aspired to be and took of the branch of the highest cedar he shot for to the top but what actually occurred was it became a spreading vine of low stature whose branches turned toward him so everybody began to say Herbert Armstrong Herbert Armstrong and the word the message became Herbert Armstrong going to kings and rulers, Herbert Armstrong coming off the plane, we're family, and all that stuff about him and what he was doing. So instead of keeping its focus on God, it began to focus more on him. And he fought that to some degree. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't plod for me. I'm nothing. So on. But that's what happened. Sorry, even though he resisted it to some degree. And the roots thereof were under him. So everything came to be under him and spread out from him. So it became a vine and brought forth branches and shot forth sprigs, and it did spread around the world. Okay? But it was not a high tree. It was a spreading vine who turned to him. All right? That's history. You see that, I see that. We all can see that that's what happened in that work. In verse 7, there was also another great eagle. So here comes another leader who has power, who has control, which Joseph Tkach certainly had, with great wings and many feathers. So it was still quite large and still had a lot of people when he took over. And behold, this vine did bend her roots toward him so when he took over it became the Tkach Church of God not much is said here about God but he took over and he wanted applause when he would visit a church and I was there in Anchorage when he did it come on, applaud, I'm here you may have seen it too at some place but I did witness it personally so he was trying to get it to turn toward him And shot forth her branches toward him, that he might water it by the furrows of her plantation. So he was the one that was supposed to feed it and water it and take care of it, okay? It was planted in a good soil by great waters. So again, the doctrine that he inherited was good. How long did that last? Let's read on. It was by great waters that it might bring forth branches, and that it might bear forth fruit that it might be a goodly vine. It had every chance, didn't it? If it had not been taken away from the truth that it had, it still could have grown and produced fruit. So it had that chance, that opportunity, that possibility. But, next, Say you, thus says the eternal God, shall it prosper. It's in good ground with good water. Is it going to succeed? Is it going to prosper? Shall he not pull up the roots thereof and cut off the fruit thereof that it wither? Now what is happening when something's withering? It is dying. I have a tree out here I planted. Planted three of them just alike. Two of them are doing pretty well. One is dying. It's withering. The leaves are dying and falling off. Not just because of the season but there's something that's not right about it. It shall wither in all the leaves of her spring from the very beginning, not the fall, not the winter, but from the spring, from the time that it begins to go forward or try to go forward. Even without great power or many people to pluck it up by the roots thereof. So there aren't a lot of people to fight it, to try to destroy it, it was withering on its own. In fact, most of us were running from it. Not there trying to destroy it. We were trying to get away before we got destroyed. So it wasn't with great power that somebody smashed it. It just began to wither up and die. Yes, behold, being planted, shall it prosper. Shall it not utterly, utterly wither? Die! Die! When the east wind touches it, it shall wither in the furrows where it grew. I understand this better reading through it right now than I did when I first understood it. Because then I didn't understand it was Sardis and that it would die. I read it worldwide and I thought, well, yeah, it kind of died, didn't it? I thought that. It died, didn't it? But I never connected it with Sardis dying. And now it's so clear. Moreover, the word of the eternal came to me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house. It became a rebellious house. It began almost immediately in the springtime, as soon as Tacitus took over, early in their careers, if you will. It began to wither and die. And it became a rebellious house, rebellious against God and his teachings. Know you not what these things mean? Tell them, behold, the king of Babylon has come to Jerusalem. So here an ungodly man from Chicago, if you will, came to Jerusalem, the church, to destroy it. So Joseph the becomes a type of Nebuchadnezzar, and has taken the king thereof, I think he killed him, and the princes thereof, and led with them with him to Babylon. Now that's in the story of the two witnesses, chapter five of Zechariah, where two unclean birds take the church that has had a lead weight put in its mouth to shut it up, and sets it on its base in Babylon. That's speaking of the Takachas taking Worldwide Church of God back into Babylon, as Ezekiel seventeen says, and that is in the time of the two witnesses. So it's an end time event, both in Zechariah five and here and revelation 3. Okay, he took the king's seed. Let me yeah, let's see. Led him to Babylon. Verse 13 and he has taken of the king's seed and made a covenant with him and has taken an oath of him. He has also taken the mighty of the land. So he took some evangelists. He took leaders of the church. He took of the king's seed. Us, the people. And took an oath of him. He told Herbert Armstrong, I'll follow in your footsteps. I'll do just what you say. He took an oath. And then went the other direction and didn't walk in his footsteps at all. I think he may have even said that at the funeral. I'm not sure. That the kingdom might be base. Did Worldwide Church of God become base? I'm sorry, it did. That it might not lift itself up. That by keeping of his covenant, it might stand. It didn't stand. didn't stand up. Verse 15, but he rebelled against him. Joseph Kotz rebelled almost immediately. Took away healing. Encouraged makeup. Did all kinds of things contrary to what whatever Armstrong had taught. Tried to get rid of the Sabbath. I was there when they tried to do that in Alaska. There was a test balloon to see if they could do it. And ultimately they did it, because it succeeded up there, except for a few families. So we rebelled against Herbert Armstrong, sent his ambassadors into Mitzrium, into sin, false doctrine, that they might give him horses and much people. So he thought the church was going to grow. He says, well, we're going to banish tithing, and I know that you're also Christian, you're going to give more money. Didn't he say that? It'll prosper. It'll do good. Where else could this apply? pray tell. And then the income dropped sharply and he reinstituted tithing. That's the only thing he went back to that he ever left from. <laughs> shall he prosper? The question is asked. Shall he escape that does such things? For, he sh- for shall he break the covenant and be delivered? No, he died of cancer not too long after that. As I live, says the eternal God, surely in the place where the king dwells that made him king... Pasadena, Herbert Armstrong made him his successor, and I think he tried to back out and uh, was not allowed to, whose oath he despised, and whose covenant he broke, even with him in the midst of Babylon shall he die. So Herbert Armstrong died in Los Angeles, Pasadena, the midst of Babylon, and Joseph Koch had not yet moved, and he died there in the same place. Neither shall Pharaoh with his mighty army. This world, its religion, and great company make for him in the war by casting up mounts and building forts to cut off many persons. So even if he goes to Babylon and he goes to Protestantism and the evangelistic movement, he's not going to succeed, going to die and cut off many people. Seeing he despised the oath and by breaking the covenant, when, lo, he had given his hand... He gave his hand to Herbert Armstrong, said, I'll, I'll walk in your footsteps, I'll do what you did, I'll follow what you taught. Didn't do it. And he has done all these things. He shall not escape. And he didn't. He made some statement. I, I can't quite bring back exactly what it said, but something about uh, he would die if he did such and such, and then he got cancer and died almost immediately. I can't bring the quote quite back, but. It was there. Uh, verse 19, Therefore thus says the eternal God, As I live, surely my oath has he despised, and my covenant has he had broken. Even it will I recompense upon his own head, which happened. And I will spread my net upon him, and he shall be taken in a snare, and I will bring him to Babylon, and I will plead with him there for his trespass, that he has trespassed against me. There were some who tried to get Hurt Joe DeKoch not to go where he was going. And there were some who tried to get Joe Jr. who took over from him not to go where he was going. So there were those who told him not to trespass. And all his fugitives with all his bands shall fall by the sword, and they that remain shall be scattered toward all the winds. <laughs> Does that sound like what happened to Worldwide Church of God, Sardis? Fall by the sword. Spiritually die. And then that which remains would be scattered to the wind. Fits worldwide perfectly. And you shall know that I, the Eternal, has spoken it. Now, what is God going to do after that has happened? Verse 23. In the mountain of the height of Israel... I think that's both physical and spiritual. Uh, No, wait a minute, I got down to verse too far. I want 22. (coughs) This says the eternal God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar. Now, Herbert Armstrong tried that, and it became a low-growing vine, turned toward him. (coughs) But Christ says, I'm going to start over, and I also am going to take a branch of the high cedar and i will set it plant it i'll plant seven trees in the wilderness isaiah 41 again i will crop off from the top of his young twigs a tender one and will plant it upon a high mountain and imminent so it's going to be a small twig but it's going to be placed in an imminent spot in the mountains of judea near zion and jerusalem which you and I know where is, and hardly anyone does. (coughs) In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it, and it shall bring forth boughs and bear fruit and be a goodly cedar. Now doesn't he say in Haggai that the former temple will be eclipsed by the latter temple, that that which was will not have the spiritual glory and strength of that which will be? under the two witnesses, Rebbebel and Joshua, and the remnant church. you beginning to get an idea where Philadelphia is going to be. And under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing, and the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know. Now, trees, again, is churches. Seven in Isaiah 4, who take hold of one man in Zion a place of refuge that will have a covering and a protection, just like he says the two witnesses in the remnant church will have. So all the churches will know that I, the Eternal, have brought down the high tree, the highest tree around, and your understanding and mine was Worldwide Church of God, have exalted the low tree, something that he takes that's a twig that is very small, have dried up the green tree. (laughs) What happens when you dry up a tree? It withers and dies. And we've already seen here that Herbert Armstrong and Joseph Tkachas work both would wither and die. I've dried up the green tree and have made the dry tree to flourish. So out of the remains of that that was dying, God is going to clip a small green twig And plant it, and it will grow and produce fruit instead of the dry tree that has died. I, the Eternal, have spoken it and have done it. Now, does that fit, or what? Now, I've got something else for you that is also very interesting for atonement, because it fits that. But... (coughs) We've only scratched the very surface here. Uh, The story, I think, is pretty clear about Thyatira, about Worldwide Church of God as Sardis, and about the remains that are about to die and the spewing of Laodicea, which is mostly what we see today. But the Philadelphia Church are the people who will populate it and the two witnesses are alive today. We're that close to the end. The witnesses have been in training. The people who will come to build a temple are still faithful and have not bowed their knee to Baal. I think there will be probably 7,000 people there because Elijah and Moses are key figures. So even though people who will populate And the leadership who will populate Philadelphia are alive today. It has not yet made its presence known. God has not stirred those people to come, and he has not done miracles to cause it to happen. But that will happen, and we'll see the story, I think, made quite clear. As much has been written about Philadelphia, and as many articles... And as much proclamation has been made by so many, many people in the church of God about being Philadelphia, it's a major topic. But I don't believe it's what we've always thought it was. But I think I can go into the scriptures and I can show you very clearly the story of it. Because the Philadelphia church will have an open door and cannot be stopped. And it will do the greatest work that has ever been done on the face of the earth. And we need to understand how it will be, where it will come from. We need to know who, what, why, where, when, and how, if you will, about the Philadelphia church. And it is a very, in spite of all the gloom and doom in the church today and the confusion and frustration, the story of Philadelphia from its inception to its finish is a very exciting, hopeful Wonderful uh, microcosm of the kingdom of God and the world tomorrow. So I think, unless God shows me something different, that will be our topic for the Feast of Tabernacles to see the joyous church that God has nothing against that will do His work.